Welcome to the Bariatric Podcast, the weight loss surgery podcast coming to you from Central Texas. I'm your host, Chip Reynolds, and today is April 10th, 2016. This is episode two of the Bariatric Podcast. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I'll be talking a little more about my experiences before and after surgery. And at the end of the show, I'll share my recipe for bariatric friendly pizza. If you have questions or comments for the show, please like us on Facebook. We can be found at facebook.com slash bariatric podcast, or you can email the show at bariatricpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bariatric podcasts, but there's no T on the end because Twitter has a character limit even on handles. To start the show, here is my progress report. I am 45 years old. My heaviest weight was 356 pounds. My surgery weight was 320 pounds. My current weight is 237 pounds. And my goal weight is 170 pounds. I had RNY gastric bypass surgery on December 7th, 2015, and that puts me just a little over four months out from my surgery. Now previously I've talked about how I came to the decision to have this surgery and today I'll talk a little more about everything about that that decision. I've been looking at old pictures of myself and I see pictures from my mid to late 20s and I see some pictures from my late 30s and beyond and it's like looking at two completely different people. I remember when I was 39 a friend of mine saw a picture of me from when I was 23 and he said it looked like I'd eaten that young man. The difference was that drastic. Now, as I said in the last episode, towards the end of my Army career, I really let myself go and allowed my back injury to feel worse, and I allowed myself to use it more and more as an excuse as to why I couldn't control my weight. I reduced what I was willing to do for exercise. I'd have occasional days where I pushed hard during physical training, but for the most part, I would go through the motions and take it easy when I felt the slightest bit of pain in my back. I can remember having to buy larger and larger uniforms. By the time I retired, I was stretching out my 2XL PT shirts. At Fort Hood, most units do their PT on on the same main road that they shut down for traffic during the same specific PT hours. I would walk up and down that street and often hear soldiers commenting or laughing about my size. I'd ignore it and pretend I didn't hear it or that I didn't care, but it did wear on me. Now within my unit, I was well respected for my knowledge and experience. With the exceptions of setting a terrible physical example, I possessed a good work ethic and a strong leadership traits. But none of that could erase my poor physical condition or health. During my off time, I would wear a lot of loose and baggy clothes trying to conceal my weight, which led me to either looking sloppy or just... Just not that I'm not taking care of myself. I wore shoes that I laced up but could slip on or off without tying the laces because bending over to tie or untie them was a physical exertion for me. I would sweat a lot just standing still. Right after I put my retirement paperwork in, I was called by the retirement section and asked if I was sure I wanted to retire. At the time, I was on orders to move to Hawaii, which was where I really wanted to do my last tour of duty so I could retire there. But about a year earlier, the Army had changed the time limit for several ranks and how long you could remain in the service. I had been told originally that I would have to retire at 20 years, 
but it turned out that I was grandfathered under the older rule, which would have allowed me to stay for 23 years. I briefly considered canceling my retirement request and taking the move to Hawaii, but after thinking about it for a day, I realized that it was unfair to ask the Army to allow me to stay in. At that point, I was nearly 100 pounds heavier than my maximal, maximum allowable weight and had been failing the Army body fat composition tape test for years. I was terribly out of shape. It would be a liability to the Army in garrison or in war. I appeared sloppy in uniform and did not represent the type of soldier that I wanted to lead. I talked it over with my supervisor at the unit and came to the conclusion that retirement was the best option for both me and the Army. I tried to stay positive all the time and my friends and co-workers always treated me well because they knew I worked hard and was very good at my job, but the looks and comments and laughs and the things that I would overhear were still really tough to bear. Not hard enough to actually make me do anything about it, just enough to make me feel bad. When I retired, it was a relief because it was easy to remain home most of the time and not have to go out and be seen. When I did, I would go back to wearing those loose clothes in hopes that I wouldn't look so large and I avoided looking in mirrors because I knew I knew better. Of course, staying at home and continuing with the way I was eating, I only gained more weight. One of the few things I would leave the house for was a drive-thru. When I went to the drive-thru, I would always get something to eat for the ride home and then something to eat when I got home. I ordered a lot of delivery pizza too. I would always order at least two pizzas one to eat when it was delivered, and then one for tomorrow. I would often add something else to the menu, like a sandwich or wings, and I would eat that today and save a little for tomorrow as well. When I took the job throwing stock over the first holiday season after my retirement, I was looking for something to fill my time and supplement my retirement check while I waited for the VA to decide if I would receive any other compensation. I worked early morning shift that downloaded all products from the truck and then stocked the shelves mostly before the store opened. Downloading the truck required pushing boxes of products down a conveyor belt and stacking the boxes on pallets going to the appropriate section of the store. The twisting and turning while pushing boxes really bothered my back and at that time my belly was so large I would snag it on the conveyor table all the time and ended up with a just a bunch of small holes all over the lower portion of my shirt. Within 15 minutes of starting work, my shirt would be soaked with sweat. I would always have to take a second shirt to work so I could change into a clean, dry shirt with no holes right before the store opened. There were several times when the manager would allow folks to stay late and get extra hours, but my back and my feet would hurt so much at the end of just four hours of work that I never stayed longer than I had to. At the end of the holiday season, it was actually a relief when they told me I wouldn't be staying on with a permanent crew. I spent the next several months trying to figure out what I could do that wouldn't be such a physical strain and eventually found the career I'm in now. But by being in such terrible physical condition, I increased the difficulty of, of even doing a, a desk job. If I had the choice between trying to explain something to a client by talking or by getting up and describing and teaching from a whiteboard, I would sit. If I had to get up and walk across the room and talk to a potential client, I would wait to see if maybe they came closer to me first. 
I would sweat so much that it would make people I talked to uncomfortable, and getting up to copy a document or get something from the printer made me so out of breath I would have to sit for a minute at my desk once I'd returned and physically calm myself down before I could start talking again to the client. Like I said, I've looked back at pictures from my last few years in the Army, Army and pictures leading up to today, and I can't believe it is me sometimes. I avoided the mirrors and pictures as best I could so I wouldn't have to look at how I, how I, how I looked. And I avoided exercise and better eating habits because I didn't want to admit to myself how bad things had gotten. Even in the summer of 2014 when my friend sat me down and talked with me about my weight and how my health were affecting me and how he was worried, I may have been ready to admit I needed to do something better, but I wasn't ready to actually make the change. At least not a permanent and lasting change. There were times where I was even worried that maybe it was too late for me to make a change. But by the time that I was ready to make a change in the summer of 2015, I was at my heaviest weight I'd ever been in or been at in my life. I was taking medication to control my high blood pressure and was about due for a stronger dosage. I started taking medication to control my blood sugar, which had been high for years, but I avoided the doctors as well because I didn't want to admit that I had diabetes. When I attended the weight loss surgery seminar, I was down 10 pounds to 346 pounds. I was glad that many of the requirements to be considered had been changed or modified from the year prior but I decided that I was going to commit fully to whatever I had to do to have this surgery. In the two months between the seminar and my surgery date, I lost another 10 pounds before I even started the pre-op diet, and then I lost 16 pounds while doing that liquid diet in the last week before the surgery. It was hard for me. I could only walk about 10 to 15 minutes a day during those two months, and that was because it was all I could do before my back really hurt and I'd have to quit. But it felt great knowing that I was doing more than I had before and I was on the right path both mentally and emotionally. I made the decision to share with my family and friends at that time. I've said before that it was partly to add to my own accountability because if I shared it, I would have so many people that cared about me and supported me that I would feel the, the responsibility to earn that support. A lot of folks in the weight loss support group I attend keep their decisions secret because they feel it is their own personal decision. And many worry that they don't want to share because they're worried about what people might say to them. We discuss the easy way out conversation quite often because people hear it from others all the time. Now, people are entitled to their opinions about weight loss surgery, and I freely admit that I could have avoided making the decision to have the surgery by taking much better care of myself many years ago. But the permanent changes to my body now that I've had the surgery were something that I, I was committed to dealing with for the rest of my life, and I don't consider those changes to be easy. The surgery isn't a cure-all. In fact, one of the surgeons that comes regularly to, regularly to seminar and group meetings has stated that you can eat your way through any surgery. It's just a tool. Now it's a pretty powerful tool, but without making lifestyle changes, a person will fail in the long run.
My friend that first talked with me about making a change has spoken with me several times since then uh, about making my decision. And we've had good, healthy conversations where he's voiced concern about backsliding once I reach my goal. It's not uncommon for folks that have had weight loss surgery to revert to old habits once they lose some, some or all of the weight that they wanted. They think that because they've used this tool that, it's, that it is the cure-all and they can go back to doing some of the things that they, that they used to do and that leads to that failure. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast. It's why I attend as many support group meetings as I can. And it's why I've shared every step of my journey with family and friends. I'm committed to, to making this change in my lifestyle. And for me, hitting my goal weight is just the first measure of success. Maintaining a healthy lifestyle and weight afterwards is my lifelong goal. After I had the, the surgery, the changes were immediate. I struggled the first few days with getting the proper amount of fluid and protein. I had the surgery on a Monday and took an entire week off from work just to recover. A lot of folks in my face-to-face -face group and online group speak about the trouble with getting in their fluids and proteins in the first few weeks, and I struggled with that too. I didn't realize, or I, I didn't really have a feeling of fullness when you eat, like when you eat a proper meal. But I did feel a type of full when drinking my water or protein shakes. It was more of a pressure or an uncomfortable feeling in my chest. I would set a 10 minute uh, recurring timer on my phone and every time it would sound I would fill a shot glass with liquid and try to finish it within the, that next 10 minutes. I was constantly sipping and it seemed ridiculous that I couldn't drink any more than that. Sometimes the alarm would sound and I hadn't even touched the last shot glass, but I did the best that I could. I was lucky that I found some protein drinks and powders that I tolerated well very shortly after the surgery. I know a lot of folks struggle with finding something with the right taste or flavor or that their body will tolerate. I use EAS Advantage Carb Control Shakes and Nature's Best Isopure Unflavored Whey Protein Powder. One thing that I learned is that I do not tolerate the pure protein bars at all and got sick the two times that I ate them. But I know a lot of post-op folks that swear by that brand and really love it. Another thing post-op folks talk about is how their taste buds have changed. I've not noticed this a lot for myself, but it does happen. One thing I was told to be careful of was not to buy my protein supplements in bulk prior to surgery because I may not like the taste or be able to tolerate the same products afterwards. I've even talked to folks who said they've tolerated a, a particular food one day and a week later not been able to tolerate that same exact food at all. But everybody's results are a little bit different. For me, it wasn't so much of a problem, but we often do have folks that, that will bring in products that they had prior to surgery and find that they no longer like and they give them away to folks that might, might still be able to benefit from them. Now today, at four months out, I still don't really feel hungry ever. Eating for me is something I do because I need to rather than want to. I'm able to eat to live instead of live to eat. While I don't feel that physical hunger, I do still feel mental hunger. For years, 
I would have some sort of snack before I would go to bed. Now my snacks were actually the, the size of small meals because they would be leftovers from dinner or a sandwich or a big bowl of potato chips. Now, even four months out, I still feel as if I should have something before bed. It just became such a mental habit to me to do that, that even now when I'm not hungry, I just feel like I have to. And it's been a very big struggle for me. I don't feel an, any hunger urge in my stomach, but I, and I know that I don't need the food, but sometimes it just doesn't feel right to go to bed without having a bite of something. Now to curb these mental urges, I often have a cup of decaf coffee or decaf tea, and I've occasionally had a sugar-free popsicle. But I just remind myself that that behavior is something that the old me would do, and it led me to where I was. The new me is dedicated to success and a healthier lifestyle. Another bad habit I've overcome is skipping meals. I used to skip breakfast all the time and would sometimes skip lunch. This led to binging at dinner and making excuses that it was okay to overeat because I was only eating once that day. Really, it turned into twice because I would still have that snack before bed. Now I have breakfast every day. In fact, I have almost the same exact breakfast six to seven days a week. I pack lunches for work, and they're often as simple as a P3 pack made by Oscar Mayer or the Rev Wraps because I know what I'm getting and it's all measured. I'll add in some fruit or veggies in pre-measured containers as well. And I keep a bottle of carrot juice in the fridge at work as too, just so that I make sure I get a, at least one serving of veggies in during the workday. But I make sure to eat twice during the day while I'm at work and just space it out between appointments and meetings that I have with clients. You'll rarely find me without a cup of water in my office, and I try to get one to two 16-ounce cups every day at work. I use MyFitnessPal to track the food I eat. It's highly customizable for prepared foods, and allows you to scan barcodes on products to add them to your log. I don't worry so much about calories, but instead worry about making sure that I get the proper amount of protein and carbs in a day. My three priorities are getting between 75 and 80 grams of protein, at least 50 grams of carbs, although I do try to get between 60 and 75 every day, and 64 ounces of water a day. If I do that, I'm usually between 911 calories for the day, and I feel good. I use MapMyRun to track my exercise. It's a great app that ties into my phone to measure my steps throughout the day and use the GPS to track when I go out on walks or runs. Now I'll talk more about my exercise and progress towards running a marathon later this, this year in a future episode, but for now I'll say that exercise is another key lifestyle change I've made that I know will lead me to further success in both losing weight and keeping it off once I reach my goal. Now let's move on to the recipe for the show. As promised earlier, today I'll share my recipe for bariatric friendly chicken crust pizza. Here's what you'll need. One pound of ground chicken, three quarters cups of shredded mozzarella cheese, three quarters cup of shredded cheddar cheese, one quarter cup ground Parmesan cheese, garlic salt, Italian seasoning and pepper, 
turkey pepperoni, half a cup of pizza sauce, and some non-stick spray vegetable oil. You'll start by preheating your oven to 400 degrees. In a large bowl, mix the ground chicken, seasonings, Parmesan cheese, one quarter cup of mozzarella, and one quarter cup of cheddar. Once you have everything thoroughly mixed, spray your pizza pan or oven dish with vegetable oil. Put your chicken mixture onto the pan and gently flatten it out to the edges of the pan or dish. I've seen a lot of online recipes recommend using wax paper and or a rolling pin to do this, but I just put on, I just put on some disposable plastic gloves and do it by hand. After you have the chicken spread out in a nice even layer, bake it at 400 degrees for 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, I pull the pan out and pour out any collected grease from the chicken. The crust will have shrunk a little from the edges of the pan, but as long as you made a nice even layer, you shouldn't see any holes in the crust. I then pour the pizza sauce onto the crust and spread it out evenly with a spoon. I put one quarter cup of mozzarella and one quarter cup of cheddar on the pizza and then add the pepperoni, about 20 in total. I finish it off by adding the last quarter cup of each cheese. Return the pizza to the oven and bake for 10 more minutes. When it's done, I cut my pizza into six pieces and store them individually in plastic containers so I can take them to work throughout the week. I shared a slice with a friend at work and he asked me to make him an entire pizza the next weekend. He liked it so much he offered to pay for the ingredients and add $10 for my trouble. You'll be able to find this recipe on the Facebook site if you'd like to try it for yourself. Lastly, I'd like to finish off the show with some thank yous. A very special thank you to my good friend and a great friend of the show, Eileen, for the incredible artwork she created for the show. I'd also like to thank the folks at the Carl R. Darnell Army Medical Center for the great support they give to the bariatric program and to all the patients for the entire hospital. They just opened their new facility and it is beautiful. I'm looking forward to our first support group meeting in the new building next week. Once again, if you have any questions or comments for the show, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bariatricpodcast or email us at bariatricpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bariatricpodcast. Remember, no T on the end of that one. In future episodes, we'll do our best to answer your questions and cover your concerns. Thank you for listening.